come from? Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? It came from outer space to fill the world with terror. What earthly power can stop this terror? That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop. The from outer space. Wait for Jim Beam to finish pouring. We're in. Old two fingers over here. <laughs> We're in. Old tea bag. We're in. That's probably what Mr. Crowley said, too. <laughs> hey, guys, what's up? It's a podcast from outer space. It's your boy, Rob Scott. We got Adam Narlock in the house tonight. Hey, guys, thanks for listening. And as always, it's Ryan Scott. Greetings, Earthlings. And, you know, welcome back. We got part two to get into tonight on our boy, Jack Parsons. Very exciting stuff. Um, if you're into cookies, you'll love this episode. Now, this is what I have dubbed. I've come up with this terminology. Tell me if you two clowns agree. This is a mullet series. Clowns. All right. Mullets. You know what that is? A mullet. Go ahead. Yeah, business in the front, party in the back. Yep. Now, our first episode, we explained, you know, a look at Jack's childhood. Um, him getting into rockets, rocket scientists, you know, him bringing rockets to the masses, the founding of JPL. Um, and we also took a, a look at the history of rocket scientists. This and, is all starting to make sense to me now. And, you know, they're exiled from scientific academia. And now we're getting into a different type of rocket science. <laughs> rockets, red rockets, rock and roll. Yep. Now this that's where party in the back yep. comes in. See, episode one was the front business. Episode two, party in the back. So in this episode... We are getting into Jack's ventures into the occult, his ritual magic, his downward spiral into obscurity, or, as some theorize, how he could have massively influenced American culture and science well into the 21st century, changing the course of history forever. 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 Our sources on this one are issue number 35 of Insight Magazine. Got some great insight there. Yep. The Magical Revival by Kenneth Grant. Magia Sexualis, Sex, Magic, and Liberation in Modern Western Esotericism. Can't wait to see what's coming up on my Amazon next week. By (laughs) Hugh B. Urban. The Book of Babylon by Jack Parsons himself. And, of course, Strange Angel by George Pendle. And let's not forget Blood, Sex, Sugar, Magic by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. That was not a source on this one. (laughs) (laughs) But a good album nonetheless. Now, brief recap of last week. I mean, what did we learn last week? Do you guys remember? Jack was in a box selling burgers and jets. (laughs) Uh, Jack and his band of merry men, uh, they <laughs> oh, had, he's Robin Hood. He's the <laughs> yeah. sheriff of Nottingham. They just completed, uh, the first jet assisted takeoff in American history and became the first ever U.S. government sanctioned rocket research group. This ringing a bell? 100%. Jado? Yep. Jado. Now. What about Galsit? Yep. That too. That was all in there. Now. It's going to have a lot of Galsits in this one. What Jack and the rest of uh, JPL was able to do was not only successfully design rockets, but they also sold them to the government, making a shitload of money. Now, you might be asking, why are these JDOs, you know, what, what's up with these JDOs? Why are they so groundbreaking? Why are they so groundbreaking? First off, I like the hustle here. Coming up with an idea and selling it to the government? Well, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll look into that. Um, we'll actually get into that now. But it, basically a JDO, you know, 
how it works. Um, it's essentially um, like a rocket at its core is Newton's third law. Now, do you guys, are you familiar with Newton's third law? An object in motion stays in motion. <laughs> no, that's not. <laughs> uh, Newton's third law is for every action, there There's is an, an opposite reaction. There is an equal or opposite uh, reaction. Yeah, yeah. Now, think about it. At the basic level, that's what a rocket is. You know, it's a controlled mm. blast in one area of a canister, shooting it, propelling it into space. Think uh, Mentos and Diet Coke. Oh, we used to do that in the park all the time. <laughs> <laughs> now, imagine that times a couple thousand with like uh, solid fuel. And basically, that's what a Jada was. It was a little bottle, uh, a little like a uh, bottle that they would attach to the wings of planes and they would fire it so that it would fire the plane and uh, reduce its takeoff time, you know? Mm. So there's a picture of one right there. Looks like a pig statue, something Rob would make in art class. <laughs> now, uh, the group's aim was basically to find a replacement for black powder rocket motors because basically that's what they had at the time. Some um, fireworks. That sounds yeah, like a terrible idea. It, basically <laughs> fireworks that they would strap to the planes, and these were often like exploded and would damage the wings of the aircraft. Wily Coyote type shit. Yeah. Kind of like our friend that strapped a bunch of black powder to his chair. Yes, to make a exactly like Juan Hu. Now, uh, Jack held the theory that this was due to a chemical imbalance in the ammonium nitrate. Now, guys, again... Little disclaimer here, it's no secret, we're not rocket scientists. Not at all. Now, I wrote this outline, and a lot of it at the beginning, before I whittled it down, was sounding like a uh, science lecture. And, you know, we don't want to bore you with the logistics, the scientific stuff. Well, there's a lot of science that goes There into is this. a lot of science, so I've tried to whittle it down to its simplest of terms. So, Jack basically was saying, hey... There's a chemical imbalance because the way the Jados are stored. Overnight in the desert, heating and cooling, this would like crack the uh, solid fuel and create unequal burning. So Jack and Frank Molina basically figured out a plan to pack the Jados with fuel early in the morning, shortly before the test, to ensure they were up to par. Now this took about 45 minutes per canister, so they would do this overnight, and it was taking a toll on them. But it did prove success, reducing takeoff by 30%, and thus the NAS increased their grant to 125 k Now, by December of 1941, what's going on? Pearl Harbor. Yep, we've got the U.S. entering Second World War. Now, this is great uh, for JPL because now their work had moral implications mm. as well as practical ones, you know. By them continuing their rocket research up in the funding, they could help defeat the Nazis. Now, what do we know about war? Costs well, a lot of money. Big yep, money, yep. big money. It's like your favorite movie where that guy, Last Jedi, right? That is playing, not my favorite movie. Playing both. Oh, that's Stoner's favorite movie. Yeah, <clears throat> Not my favorite. <laughs> playing, playing both sides. Oh, yes, exactly like that. Just you know, to make money. These guys were making things that would assist um, the military. So, of course, their funding's going to get upped. So, they agreed to produce and sell 60 JATO engines to the United States Army Air Corps. So, they had to literally form the Aerojet Engineering Corporation. This goes to like stigma of rockets at the time. Um, you know, it's hard enough to get the government to even pay attention to fund this stuff. 
Now they had to pitch the idea to a manufacturer. Nobody was paying attention at the time. Everybody was trying to improve the airplane. They could give a fuck about rockets. Mm. So nobody would give these guys the time of day. So they had to literally form their own manufacturing plant. So in March of 1942, Parsons, Ed Foreman, and Frank Molina and Von Karman each invested $250 into opening their offices, which would become Aerojet Engineering Corporation on Colorado Boulevard. Now, in June of 1942, Jack had the idea of using liquid asphalt. Not to be confused with the band Red Asphalt. Yep, as a appropriate binding agent for the Jado fuel. Now, this became known as Galsit 53, and the fuel proved to be much more stable, and it it provided a thrust 427% more powerful than the previous concoction they were working with. Now, this invention by Jack, um, quote-unquote, changed the future of rocket technology, as this new asphalt casting took about three seconds to fill each canister, was durable in all climates, could be mass-produced, indefinitely stored, and transformed solid fuel agents into a safe and viable form of rocket propulsion. I don't think it took me 27 gallons to get the technique down. <laughs> How many did it take you? Like four or five. By about 1943, the Army Air Forces asked the group to study the possibility of using rockets to propel long-range missiles. Now, in response to this, Molina wrote a report dated... 20th of November, 1943, which was the first document to use the name Jet Propulsions Laboratory. So essentially, you know, by this point, JPL and Aerojet, they're up and running. The boys are making hella money due to the military industrial complex. And this money would basically give Jack plenty of stability financially to, you know, kind of do his own thing, expand in his personal life. Because, you know, before he's busting his ass to make ends meet, testing rockets, making nitroglycerin on his front porch as a side hustle. <laughs> now, when did that stop? <laughs> now, well, once he's doing this, of course, he's, he's making loads of money from the government, so he, he doesn't have to make nitroglycerin anymore. Um, and he was working at explosives companies just to make ends meet. Not a whole lot of time there. And basically up until this point, this is how most people are familiar with Jack Parsons. This rocket engineer and chemist helped form JPL. Boom. History right there. Now, mullet time. <laughs> what time is it? <laughs> what time is it? It's mullet time, motherfuckers. Mullet time, motherfuckers. Now, this is the party shit. This is the fucking shit. This is why you come to the podcast from outer space. Guys, yep. I've been up. Nights on end, drinking micheladas, listening to fucking Santana, researching black <laughs> magic. Now, let's get into Jack's beginnings in the OTO. So simultaneously, as all of this is happening, all the last episode, Jack's rocket research, experiments on campus, the founding of JPL, Jack has his own personal personal interests i guess we'll call them right religious interests what do we want to call them is it religious or is it personal well, a little bit of both okay so i mean we all got our own interests right? Right, right i mean we've all got hobbies outside of work am i right rob's into hispanic chicks i'm into blondes now it's not really a hobby <laughs> for jack 
he seemed to have reunited with one of the many interests from his childhood, the occult. Mm. Remember last episode, tried to summon the devil in his room as a young lad? Magic with a CK. Yep. Tried to shout at the devil. Do we remember that? We do. Now, as also stated in our last episode, Jack was always a huge sci-fi fan. He would often attend meetings of the Los Angeles Science Fantasy Society. Fantasy. Now, why don't these, we go to that? Um, may. <laughs> if it's still around, we could try. Um, what was that? May. <laughs> now, at these meetings, he frequently rubbed shoulders with the likes of Forrest Ackerman, Ray Bradbury, Robert Heinlein, and other notable sci-fi writers at the time. Pretty soon he's going to be rubbed more than shoulders with those <laughs> yep. And one in particular we'll get into shortly. Now, it is at one of these events that Jack would be introduced to John and Francis Baxter, a brother and sister who had become close friends with Jack and Helen. In January of 1939, they took Jack to the Church of Thelema on Winona Boulevard in Hollywood, where Jack witnessed the performance of the Gnostic Mass. And just what the hell is that? (laughs) Now, okay, Gnostic Mass. So... I've heard of agnostic. Well... We danced around it in our last two episodes, you know, gave you a little fact sheet. I mean, we talked about Crowley in the Loch Ness Monster episode, a um, little bit about magic in part one. Now, on this episode, I've decided we'll do a little more thorough examination in this week's Breakdown. So... <laughs> Crowley and Thelema. Basically, we'll give you the cliff notes on Crowley's life. So he was born in Royal Lemington Spa over in Warwickshire, England. You know, speaking of mullets, if there's anyone that liked to party in the back, it's Alistair Crowley. Yeah, and born in a spa. So like like he's coming out of the room in a he's coming out of the womb in a <laughs> bathrobe, just relaxing. Um, this guy was raised in a Christian fundamentalist household. Uh, so very strict religious family. Apparently, he was only allowed to read the Bible growing up. Mm. Uh, now, he studied at the University of Cambridge, uh, and after graduating, he focused his interest on poetry and mountaineering. Was he a Boy Scout? <laughs> no, he wasn't, but apparently he was like a damn good mountain climber. I think he tried to like uh, climb K2, which is still like one of the hardest mountains in the world, you know? Yes, she is. Adam's gotten that one a couple times, I think. <laughs> now, in 1898, he joined the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Essentially, um, this was an organized group devoted to studying magic, occult, and metaphysics, or the nature of reality. Do they call them the hogs for short? <laughs> no, they do not. Now, they were all set up with lodges, levels with paywalls, uh, classic secret society, esoteric knowledge type stuff. Um, think, remember in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, the yeah. brothers of the cruciform sword? Mm. My soul's prepared, Dr. Jones. <laughs> How's yours? They're like these guys. No time for love, Dr. Jones. <laughs> no, that's a totally different movie. Different movie entirely. <laughs> <laughs> now, those, they're like these guys, you know, because at the time... I think they're a little crazier than those guys well, were. Well, well. 
At the time, <laughs> at the time Crowley's coming up and he's into all this magic shit. I mean, th- th- these fringe beliefs, mystics, tarot cards, astrology, uh, fringe societies, they were huge. I mean, you had the Rosicrucians, the Freemasons. Now, let me ask you guys a question. Yeah? Did old Hal ever get into, like, any of this stuff? Mm, I don't believe so, no. Maybe a little bit of the Freemasonry. I could see that. But he was never, uh, you know, Mr. Bittner was a Freemason, is a Freemason. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Dennis actually got into the whole tarot card thing for a little bit. Yeah? I don't know, man. Hey, I thought about getting a pack. Maybe we read our future. There we go. Alex has them. Oh, what are we doing right now? (laughs) Yeah, isn't her mom like a uh, mystic? Let's, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> okay, all, all right. right, all right, all, all right. right. Uh, that's another topic for another day. Just know that that <laughs> kind of stuff was big at the time. I mean, even the Nazis more or less developed their beliefs from a more racist version of one of these fringe beliefs. I mean, I I believe Adam. Correct me if I'm wrong. We discussed this in our Foo Fighters episode. I think so. I remember did. the Vril and the Thule Society. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, check that episode out for more info on that. Good episode. No Rob Stone. Now. The Golden Dawn, not to be confused with the Greek political party, um, essentially believed that human will was capable of anything it wished. Well, that's what they tell us from the time we're kids, right? Exactly. I mean, do we believe in that stuff? You know, if your will is strong enough, you can accomplish it. You can do anything you want. It's a lie, but here we are. Now, we could... uh, So you think that's a lie? Oh, I've been told. Okay. And you're under the assumption that that's just total bullshit. Trust me, if you hung out with the kids I hung out with all day, not everybody can do anything they want. Okay, okay. Now well, maybe not with a teacher like you. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it is. Maybe it's me. Maybe you're just not encouraging them. <laughs> it's only me. It's only me. <laughs> now, among these beliefs, they held the belief that uh, we could contact otherworldly intelligences um, through rituals that are designed to kind of tune our minds, our consciousness, like a radio to these altered planes of existence. Uh, Now, in the Golden Dawn, Crowley was trained in ceremonial magic by Samuel Lydell, McGregor Mathers, and Alan Bennett. Um, This is when he moved into the Boleskine House by Loch Ness in Scotland. We discussed this in our Loch Ness episode. From here, he kind of traveled the world, mountaineering in Mexico, studying Hindu and Buddhist practices in India, going to China for a brief period, he would eventually marry Rose Edith Kelly, and in 1904, they honeymooned in Cairo, Egypt, where Crowley and Rose stayed the night in the king's chamber of the Great Pyramid. Mm. And he claims to have been contacted by a supernatural entity, the falcon-headed god of ancient Egypt, Horus, who dictated to him what became the Book of the Law, a sacred text which served as the basis for Thelema. Now, the book declared that its followers should, quote-unquote, do what thou wilt and seek to align themselves with their true will through the practice of magic. Now, so right off the bat, 1904, this was a time period where you could just, hey, come stay the night in the king's chamber, the Great Pyramid. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, they basically let you do whatever the fuck you want. Wild. And I guess if you had money like him, you know, he's born into extreme wealth. Yeah, this guy sounds like a college girl that doesn't know what she wants to do yet when she graduates, <laughs> so she just travels around different parts of the world. Yep. Now, you also know many college girls who were contacted by the falcon-headed god of ancient Egypt and dictated the well, book of the law. Do you actually believe that <laughs> horseshit? Hey, Essentially, you know, what I've gathered from doing this research is Crowley's like, um, his whole, what do you call it? Magnus Opus? His whole spiel. His whole spiel. spiel. He was basically a hippie and he kind of became tagged as a Satanist due to the times. I mean, Mm. you remember the movie Walk Hard when he's singing about like holding hands? Yeah. But it's the 50s and everybody's like... (laughs) Oh my God, you know, (laughs) like that's basically Crowley just because he was going against Christianity in the fucking 1900s. Everyone thought he was some kind of devil worshiper, Mm. you know, it's like pounded in the ass. Hey, well, did everybody know about that back then? (laughs) (laughs) If he went over to his house, he probably did. (laughs) uh, Okay. So basically I think, well, essentially that again, that practice is like the beat generation, like, they just thought, oh, if I fuck another dude who happens to be my best friend, that's just me giving him pleasure. It's not a gay thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's just how free-spirited they were. I mean, you got to be doing massive drugs to be that free-spirited. Am I right? Or to I, get visited by a falcon-headed god while you're in the king's chamber. <laughs> I love too. both of y'all to death, but I don't think there's any amount of drugs that would make me fuck or let you guys fuck me. Hey, dude, it's just skin, just man. grab a handful <laughs> of molly, dude. It's not all pink inside. Hey, look at this, though. I'm touching your hand right now. Is that weird? No, because I'm touching my bourbon. Now, again, your dick, that's just skin. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, dude. Now, uh, okay, so all that aside, at this point, Crowley basically took what he learned with the Golden Dawn and said, hey, you know, I can do this shit. He goes, he eventually goes on to head up the British chapter of the Ordo Templi Orientis, Orientis, or the OTO, and he essentially meshes the Lima into the OTO's text, created the Gnostic Mass as its centerpiece, whose slogan ultimately became the method of science, the aim of religion. So he's combining science and religion. Exactly, which was mm. basically polar opposites at the yep, time. Yep, yep. Now, essentially, Crowley had two aims, which were one, Practice magic as defined by the science and art of causing change to occur in conformity with will. Magic with a CK. Yep. And two, to establish his own self-coined religion of Thelema. So, essentially in the OTO, they believe that humans could be lifted to a higher plane of consciousness through sexual pleasure. Mm. Now, what are we thinking about this statement? Maybe. Okay. Maybe that's what you got. I feel like after I fuck a chick, like I feel closer, I feel connected, I can share secrets and open up and okay. until I pass out, Bopo, right? Yeah. And now this is a question for you, T-Bag. D- are you still practicing meditation? I know you were big into this stuff. Not big. Like I did yoga for a bit and there were nights where I would like meditate. No, not so much anymore. Okay. But you used to be a meditate. big meditator, right? Well, I wasn't praying like this guy in the closet, no. <laughs> now, what was your goal in these meditations? What, what, why would you do them? I guess just to kind of try to find peace of mind. 
Okay, peace of mind. So kind of clear out your mind of everything in the day and just, you know, kind of enter like a float tank almost, right? You want to clear out everything else, just be present in that moment. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Coming now, centers me. Exactly. Now, essentially, that was OTO's belief and Crowley's belief were basically masturbation or sexual pleasure is an easy way to attain this. Because, no, I mean, all right, think about this. Have you ever been just going at it with a chick? That's all your focus. It's like when you're going surfing, dude. Exactly. Like, that's all you're focused on, or, nothing else. you know, like, you ever been going at it, let's say, real deeply, passionately, and you're like, oh, you get clear off all the stuff on the table, like in the movies? Yep. You done that? Yeah. And then afterwards, when you come back down to reality, you're like, what the fuck did I do? <laughs> like, you got to clean all this yeah, stuff this, up. Yeah, it was a big mess. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you ever been like masturbating on your vinegar strokes and like nothing <laughs> can break? Face. Yeah, nothing can, like, your your kitchen could be on fire, but you have to, you got you to finish that one out, right? Been there. So, boom, essentially, that's what they were trying to do with these mm. master, like, basically, what a masturbation sigil is or this sex magic that they would practice, it's like raising your consciousness and you're throwing your will out in that state to kind of make it come into fruition. All that matters is getting that nut. Yeah, and while you're getting that nut, you want to focus on exactly what you want and throw that out into the universe. Theory for you. Okay, what do we got? When I was younger, partying days and stuff, I used to hang out with this guy. Is this the same guy that was making chloroform in his fucking No, no, kitchen? different guy. This, this was, No, no, no. This guy would like piss himself when he would get drunk and he would like pick up cigarette butts and smoke them. Like, oh, we've dude. all got those friends. Yeah, right, right, right. right. <laughs> but this fool, he, he had some good logic. So if you're jerking off, right at the end when you're getting the vinegar strokes, the girl you think of in that moment, that's the girl that you truly love. Well, yeah, Exactly. I just thought it was an interesting theory. Okay. Weird theory, but interesting. How <laughs> <laughs> is that weird? <laughs> How does that relate to the sex magic? It's magic. So you're saying the sigil there would be you're kind of willing you're yourself. You're thinking about what you want. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thinking makes about sense. about what you truly want. Okay. Right. Makes sense, Thank right? See, bottom line. It. It, okay. Bottom line. Makes sense, right? Yeah. Stoner gets it. So the followers of OTO would basically pay an annual fee on top of fees to progress throughout the 10 levels, and sex magic wasn't revealed until level 9. So this is like prostitution. Um, Not really. Okay. I'm off. Because they're not paying for the sex. They're paying for to, the magic. Yeah, next level of the magic. Uh, now... Save my money. I've got a quote here from uh, Crowley himself. And this is in regards to the um, Eucharist that they would all consume after the Gnostic Mass was complete. Now, he says the Eucharist. Um, this is what he's writing about that. Um, For perfume, mix meal and honey and thick leavings of red wine, then oil of Abram melon and olive oil. After soften and smooth down with rich, fresh blood, the best blood is of the moon, monthly. So, blood. yep, there you go. <laughs> now, got a whole jug of that in the fridge. <laughs> so, uh, Jesus essentially, Christ. they would eat these cakes, I guess, as a big part of the Gnostic Mass. But, anyways, all that aside, 
This is what our buddy Jack became obsessed with. Uh, the writings of Crowley, the OTO, ritual magic, sex magic, all that stuff. That's a huge change, I feel. You're going from rockets. Well, think about it. Well, this is simultaneously, I feel yeah, like. This is, oh, he shit. got into this in uh, 39, which was way before they founded JPL. So this is kind of simultaneous. We got to keep that in mind. Mm. Because what did we hear about Crowley's kind of motto? Mixing science, science and, religion. and religion. I mean, yep. this was huge. Jack was really into this. Uh, I just he, wonder how much cocaine the guy was doing because to be building rockets by day, and then at night you're eating period blood. That's a lot oh, going on. He was doing a lot of drugs. Uh, <laughs> the quote in the book I read, somebody was saying he was an expert on drugs. Like he had his whole concoction worked uh, out. Real Hunter, Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah, oh, yeah. Very go. Hunter S. Thompson. Now, Jack continued to read Crowley's works and eventually got Helen to read them as well. Um, he came to believe more and more in the reality of thelemic magic as a force that could be explained through quantum physics. So he truly believed in the power of these rituals and ceremonies that he would go on to perform. And, you know, I think that's a big part of it because you have to have some sort of positive thought or belief in yourself mm. or you're not going to get anywhere. You know, it's like you always talk about with the Ouija board, you got to believe or it's not going to work. You know, uh, talking about ritual magic, it's like um, with the masturbation sigils, the sex magic, all that sort of shit, it's how your intention and your will is a big part of it. I mean, there's no like black or white, black and white results. It's kind of dependent on person to person. Now, this is from what I read about it. Um, and it's essentially like, so say you're performing a sex magic ritual and you want to... Um, What's something that you want? Just throw it out there. One billion dollars. Okay, so you want to be rich. Now, think about you have to be like very specific. Like if you just throw out like, I want to be rich, it could be like that movie. Um, what's the movie with Brendan Fraser and the chick that's the devil? Oh, Remember, and she yeah. makes him into the basketball player. It's like, I think we played 110% out there. <laughs> Bedazzled. Or yep, be bedeviled. Yep, yep. Okay, it's, it's bedazzled. <laughs> right. bedazzled. It's, it's like that. It's like bedazzled. He wasn't making a jacket. Yeah. Okay. It's it's bed bejeweled. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> what is the movie? I think it's bedeviled. I think it's bedazzled. Maybe. All right. Anyways, in that movie, you know how he wishes to be rich, and then yep, he's like a yep, Mexican yep. cartel. It's like that. That's the way that this magic stuff works. Like you have to be very specific in what you want, or you could get some completely other result so you're you're fucking a chick uh-huh and the whole time you're wishing i want to be married to this girl locked down family you got to have that like what where's that <laughs> coming from? it's like uh what is that okay edit that out that's what you think of every time no <laughs> Okay, this All is right, but let's say I'm fucking like some super hot chick. Like okay. if I'm fucking Alexis Bledel, okay. I'm like, I want to marry this chick. So this is your magic ritual. Like this is your I'm intention? You. Yeah, sure. Okay. So yeah. the whole time I'm fucking her, I just have to have that positive thought in my head. Now, there's more to the ritual than that. Okay. But essentially it's you not even necessarily have to have it the whole time. It's really once you reach the state of... The, oh, the vinegar Yes, strokes. yes. Once you hmm. reach that heightened level of consciousness, that's when you throw your ideas out there. So while I'm going at it, I just go, I want 100 bucks. Boom! <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you could do that. 
But you have to complete the rest of the magic ritual. It was okay. a lot of sword waving, pentagram drawing, <laughs> shit like that. Well, there's there's been lots. Pl- <laughs> 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 yeah. Lots of sword waving. <laughs> now, uh, so... Now, Jack's, do you actually have to shout it out, or is it more of like no, a mental thing? Yeah, yeah is that how I finish? No, it's Boom, a... Boom, <laughs> 100 bucks. <laughs> it's definitely a thought. Now, or to be a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess you could say it out loud. Um, but... Essentially, Jack's really into this. So he tried to interest his friends, his acquaintances in Thelema at every chance he got. Um, He got a few people into it, including Helen's 17-year-old sister, Sarah Betty Northrup. That's illegal in Virginia. Who had actually moved in with Jack and Helen by this point. Bedazzled. You were right. My fault. My fault. Now, Jack Jack and Helen became initiated into the Agape Lodge, which was basically a chapter of the OTO, headed by Wilfred Smith in February of 1941. Not Will Smith. No. Now, Jack adopted the Thelemic motto. Now, excuse me, I'm not a Latin major, but his motto was Thelema obtentium predero amoris nuptiae which was actually a Latin mistranslation of the establishment of, the- of Thelema through the rituals of love. Hmm. Now, the initials of this motto spelled out to Pan, also serving as the declaration to Pan. T-O-P-A-N. Okay, okay. Now, Jack would often read Crowley's hymn to Pan at gatherings and before every rocket experiment they used to do at Caltech uh, or in the Arroyo Seco. So basically before every experiment, Jack would kind of use this as uh, almost a prayer, as hymn to Pan, as written by Crowley, Jack would read before every ritual. Here's a snippet of that now. Through with lissom lust of the light, oh man, my man, come careering out of the night, oh Pan, yo Pan, yo Pan, yo Pan. Come over the sea from Sicily and RKD. Roaming as Bacchus with fawns and pards. And nymphs and satyrs for thy guards. On a milk-white ass, come over the sea. <laughs> I knew he was going to laugh. <laughs> I looked up and I just saw Adam's face and I was like, God damn it. So uh, this is the poem that Jack would read before every rocket launch. I mean, it's much, much longer than this, but... We don't have the fortitude to recite the whole poem. But I'm all for any poem that mentions a milk white ass. <laughs> now, by this time, um, so it's now 1942. Jack's doing well for himself. You know, his rocket company, JPL, they're up and running. He's got massive funding coming in. So well for himself, in fact, that he buys his childhood home. Mm. You remember that giant mansion in Pasadena next door to the estate of Adolphus Bush? Right next to hey, speaking Bush. of, what was the name of that avenue that they lived on? Orange Grove. I was on that avenue the other, just the other weekend. Okay, wow. You were right up there. Was it anywhere near Ocean Avenue? There's a place off Ocean Avenue. Now. It was actually right by the Rose Bowl, guys. So, oh, exactly. That's gross, right around this area. Gross, now. Gross. Also, check this out. I found this interesting. Now, by this time, the housing market, um, it only cost him $100 a month to rent out this mansion, which um, if you calculate inflation, that's about 1500 in today's money. 
So essentially what he did was set up this mansion as the official headquarters of the Agape Lodge. He started holding the Gnostic Mass every single day in the house upstairs. Now, people claim this house was extremely haunted. Perfect. And this Pasadena mansion, which became known as the Parsonage. That's the house right there? No, this is the next door house. Now, this Pasadena mansion, which became known as the Parsonage, was subdivided into 19 apartments. So you believe that? 19 apartments for 1500 a month. Can you imagine that? Balling, dude. Which he populated with a mixture of artists, writers, scientists, and occultists. Um, so this is just filled to the brim with characters. It's like Fight Club, <laughs> but with magicians and scientists and sci-fi writers and nerds. Now, Jack used to throw parties here, like uh, Gnostic Math, the Lima-type parties. And uh, Frank Molina's wife once attended and had this to say. It was a huge wooden house. A big, big thing full of people. Some of them had masks on. Some of them had costumes on. Women were weirdly dressed. It was like walking into a Fellini movie. Women walked around in togas and weird makeup. Some dressed like animals, like a costume party. Now, witnessing the actual Gnostic mass, she said, One of these women was rather short and dumpy. And she came out of a coffin and began to flint around in a dance. And I began to think, this is really weird, really strange. Then some young man appeared in a loincloth and I thought, this is too much. I have to tell Frank about this. Now, when she did tell her husband Frank about it, he basically shrugged it off and said, Jack is into a lot of weird things. Don't worry about it. Now, I got here an excerpt from the book, Sex and Rockets, which is another biography, and they they claim in this book, in 1942, local police came to 1003 South Orange Grove to investigate an alleged backyard ceremony wherein a pregnant woman had reportedly jumped nude through a fire nine times. Mm. The police made it clear that they thought the claim was absurd and that they found only invest that they were only investigating it because it was their duty. Again, the police investigated but found Parsons' cult to be little more than an organized, dedicated an organization dedicated to religious and philosophical speculation with respectable members such as a Pasadena bank president, doctors, lawyers, and Hollywood actors. And you know what? They were probably drinking hick juice. Now, so these guys are insane. They're throwing insane parties in this fucking giant mansion. Now, would you call that a party or more of a ceremony? Hey, if you don't have a pregnant chick jumping through fire, it's not a party. Nine times doing these rituals. They had people playing bongo drums till like 3 a.m. They got a lady jumping out of a coffin. They got a guy in a (laughs) loincloth. Yeah, now, the parties that Jack threw warranted complaints. Now, we got to keep in mind, his neighbor is Adolphus Bush. That is the (laughs) guy that created Anheuser-Busch. So, essentially, this mansion is basically the Adams family (laughs) if they threw parties that warranted complaints from the guy who created Bush beer. Maybe he was partying with them. Maybe it was someone else. (laughs) If you you can get the guy who runs Bush beer's (laughs) approval, you're probably good. (laughs) Now, uh, by 1943, 
Jack's about 30 years old. Looking like a Rob Stone. And he was essentially boxed out of the very science that he had created. Uh, he was offered 20K for his shares in Aerojet. And, you know, he felt a cold shoulder uh, from a bunch of scientists involved in rocketry. So he decides, hey, I'll take my 20 grand and I'll leave. Now, this is a... Uh, this is a little strange, not really strange. It's actually a little sad because due to his lack of education, he was never truly given the credit he deserved from the academic community. Heard they, that. They always saw him and Ed as sort of these outside guys. I mean, you have to remember, these guys were high school graduates. True clowns. That just got, yeah, just went up to this guy and said, hey, we want to fucking build rockets. <laughs> and they started, the government started throwing money at him. So... He was never really considered like part of this academic community. And so he says, hey, fuck you guys. You know, I'll take my 20K. I'll get the hell out of here. So essentially it's a combination of this. And apparently him and Ed were like um, true pranksters at Aerojet. Like uh, one time um, they hired this chemical guy on and he ordered all these chemicals for these rockets. But Jack essentially knew hey, these are the wrong chemicals. So he took all these chemicals and just fucking blew them up as a prank. Like, <laughs> blew, prank. Yeah, like blew up all these chemicals <laughs> as a prank and was like, oh, shit, what happened there? Like, fucking insane shit like that. And um, so, you know, he was also convinced by a couple of the other guys involved that, hey, due to the war coming to a close, the industry's going to drop off. Um, so he sells his shares. Uh, you know, you might see this as him getting screwed, but nevertheless, $250 that he invested initially into 20K isn't bad. Hey. I mean, that's about 300K in today's money. I'd be all right with that. Yeah. Now, before now we he's get- he's got to have plenty of time to just be banging chicks at his house. Exactly. He's got funding. Now, before... Uh, <laughs> Very so, important if you're trying to get into that banging horrors game. Now, before we get into this next part, we got to note that by this time, Jack had entered into an affair with Betty. Very Mary Shelley-esque. Helen's 17-year-old sister. Mm. Now, this happened when Helen had been on vacation. And from what I could gather, I guess Helen was a little ticked off about this. You think? <laughs> but, I mean, but, you know, we got to remember, this was the OTO lifestyle. They were cool mm. with this. They were, everyone was banging everybody in this big mansion. And, Except for Helen. No, Helen, um, do what thou wilt. That was the do OTO motto. Wilt. Now, Helen had Don't been- do you have that tattoo? <laughs> Helen had been regularly banging Wilfred Smith. The head of the Agape Lodge, they actually had a, a kid together. His name is actually Hitch. And so, you know, this isn't some scandalous thing. Like, I, I guess this wasn't really like, yeah, she was pissed about it because it was her sister, but she, it wasn't that crazy of a thing, you know? That's Helen? This is this is Helen. Do we have a picture no, of No, this sister? is not Helen. This is the sister. That's the sister? That's the well, sister. do we have a picture of Helen? No, we do not. But <laughs> oh. um, this is the sister right here, old Betty. Oh. Now, I can only imagine what Helen looked like. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, August of 1945, um, month after the first ever atom bomb was tested. Um, Not tested, fucking dropped, yeah. Well, dropped in um, August, I believe. Yep, yep, it's yep. called a test. Tested in July. <laughs> okay, I think you're right. So, enter Edit that out. Enter into this eclectic cast of characters a one Lafayette Ronald, 
Hubbard. A hell of a name, by the way. Now, are you familiar with this guy? Elrond. Old Elrond. Yep, that Elrond. Same Elrond that would go on to write the best-selling self-help book, Dianetics, which would morph into Scientology. Now, Lou Goldstone, a well-known science fiction illustrator from the L.A. Science Fantasy Society, he basically convinced Elrond to visit the parsonage while he was on leave from his service in the U.S. Navy. Uh, now, I was reading into this. Elrond's time in the Navy is just fucking insane. Like, oh, we need, bet. we got to do an episode on Elrond eventually. And we should even join Scientology. <laughs> for the sake of an episode? Yeah, for the sake of an episode. I don't know, man. I've now, seen the Leah Romini specials. Hey, now, I got an old copy of Dianetics at the thrift store that I've been reading. We could easily put an episode together. Also, it has all the original, like, subscription pamphlets in there. Like, you know how those are in old books? Like, send us this much, and we'll mm-hmm. send you all this. Mm-hmm. And I looked up the address... It's the big blue Scientology building in LA. Yep. Now I've filled out one of these to become an auditor <laughs> with Adam's name yeah, and address. Me, me That's why he's asking for my apartment. Look at that. We just mail this off and we're going to get you oh, in it there as God. an auditor, Adam. That's not. What is an auditor for Scientology? Hey, you'll find out. I we'll guess. find out live on the episode. Adam's going to go disappear and all that stuff. Here we go. Just dude. Let me see it. You you want to be an auditor? Yes. You want another copy of Dianetics? Yes. Free gift. Hey, man, we'll sign you up. How free post. Is, this is, free this gift. is from the 80s. Dude, like, please dude, send that in. We need to send that to They're going to get it and just say, like, what the <laughs> yeah. fuck? They're going to call and be like, how long have you been holding on to this? Dude, this is, this is Dianetics. This was before it was known as Scientology. Jesus like, Christ. By the, All right, send like, it in. This hadn't even become Scientology, so we're sending this Just in. Send it in. You got to start right. answering your phone, buddy. So Hubbard shows up. Jack takes an immediate liking to old fucking Ron, and he invited him to stay in the house for the duration of his leave. Now, the two develop an immediate friendship. Uh, Ron shows up. Basically, all these guys are having fucking parties, banging each other's wives, doing Gnostic masses and rituals, and of course, they're holding regular fencing matches. A lot of sword fighting going on. (laughs) Now, in a letter to Aleister Crowley dated July 1945, Jack Parsons writes, About three months ago, I met Captain L. Ron Hubbard, a writer and explorer of whom I had known for some time. He is a gentleman, red hair, green eyes, left-handed, honest and intelligent and we've become great friends. He moved in with me about two months ago, and although Betty and I are still friendly, she has transferred her sexual affections to him. Although he has no formal training in magic, he has an extraordinary amount of experience and understanding in the field. For some of his experiences, I deduce he is in direct touch with some higher intelligence, possibly his guardian angel. He is the most thelemic person I have ever met and is in complete accord with our principles. So basically, right off the bat, Ron starts banging out Betty. Now, does he go by Ron or does he go by L? Uh, well, L, big L. <laughs> you could go the Scientology route and call him LRH. Ooh. But essentially, Ron, we're going to call him Ron because I like Ron. Now, hey, okay, here's a question for you guys Have you ever met a Ron that you didn't like? 
I don't know many, but the couple that I know, I like every person I've named Ron. Well, hey, I think you guys would love this guy. I mean, we'll get into it if I we... I mean, right off the bat, <laughs> he's red hair, right. left-handed, right up out of Sally. <laughs> yeah. Fucking A, right. So, I mean, he was very charismatic. He knew how to fucking feel out a room and fucking, you know, get people to do what he wanted. Um, so he starts fucking banging Betty, and this did upset Jack, but again, he had to go with the whole OTO lifestyle, you know? He was basically the leader by this point, as Helen and Smith had basically been boxed out, and Jack was shaping up to be Crowley's protege. So Jack still maintained his friendship with old Elrond. Now, the most significant of Jack's rituals was a series of rituals that became known as the Babylon Working. Its goal was to shatter the reality of time and space and bring about the moon child. Yikes. Or magical child. Essentially designed to manifest an individual incarnation of the divine feminine called Babylon. Now, the process of this ritual draws heavily from the rituals of magic that Crowley derived from the Babylonian Ishtar and the great whore from the biblical book of Revelations. Nice. That's about every one of my exes. And now, a reading from the book of Revelations, chapter 17, Verses 3 through 9. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast full of names, blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Yes, he did. And the woman uh, was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones of pearls, having a golden cup, a cup in her hand of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery. Babylon the great mother of harlots and abominations of this earth preach and I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints with the blood of martyrs and Jesus and I saw her I wanted with great admiration the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth so this is basically the passage of the whore of Babylon from the book of revelations this is like Debbie does Dallas oh yeah dude <laughs> Um, if Debbie is riding a monster yep. with seven heads and carrying a cup full of pussy juice and <laughs> semen. <laughs> That's disgusting. So, uh, <laughs> now, essentially, these rituals that were known as the Babylon workings, this was basically Enochian magic that had been handed down from the Golden Dawn and sort of Crowleyified, for lack of a better term, nice. for the OTO's sake. And this is what Jack is going off of. Um, Crowley writes at length about this in his book, Moonchild. Now, essentially, Jack's got to conjure up this woman, and then he's going to impregnate a female version of the Scarlet Woman with the Antichrist so or he, the Whore of Babylon. He's got to knock up a whore. He's got to conjure up... that he's going to... Birth, birth the Antichrist so or the Whore of Babylon. During the vinegar strokes, he's thinking essentially yes. Okay. Now he's got to do a. This there's a lot to this ritual. A lot sure, of sure, ins, sure. lot outs, lot gotta of jellies. Buy your dinner, buy your drink. A lot sure. of jelly in these donuts. <laughs> now in his journal, Jack writes. At this time, I decided upon a magical operation designed to obtain the assistance of an elemental mate. This is well-known procedure in magic consisting of the invocation of a spirit or elemental into tangible existence by various magical techniques. So the first step is, 
They have to find their scarlet woman. They got to find a Hester Prynne. Now, got it. Jack's counterpart in this series of rituals was none other than L. Ron Hubbard himself. So Jack has decided to attract an elemental spirit to take Betty's place and assist him in his magical workings as Betty was off banging Ron. So step one, Jack used the instructions which accompany the eighth degree of the OTO. This is like a black belt. Uh, essentially, yeah. Okay. Containing almost actually brown because I guess 10th would be black, right? Mm-hmm. So containing methods for invoking an elemental or familiar spirit. Now, apparently this is pretty damn easy uh, because the souls of elementals constantly desire to be absorbed into the cycle of human evolution. Hmm. So basically, he goes on to write, you got to call them forth by the keys of Enoch as written in the book ye know of. And That's let the them... title of the book? No, the it's. Book I think know... okay. he's talking about the book of the law. Okay. But basically, there has to be, after the call, an evocation by the wand and let the marrow of the wand be preserved with the pyramids of the letter within the pyramids of the letters that make up the name of the spirit. So basically so, coming inside of a chick. Not inside of a chick. Now this is what I believe inside of a pyramid. No, it's a uh, pyramid. That's no, 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 no. So masturbation sigil. I think that's what this is. He's trying to. F- this is the sigil to find his scarlet woman. Mm. So essentially, what he has to do this is, is weird use science. Yeah, this is where he's got to basically use this Enochian tablet. Which has these writings on it, and he jerks off onto it. Yes, this is the dating of, app before dating. Exactly. Okay, okay, okay. So while he's jerking off, he's thinking of this woman. Boom, jizzing on the symbols that make up whatever the name of this spirit is. Jizzing nice. on a tablet, basically. Yes, yes, and nice. that's what whichever one it lands on. That's the one that's there coming you go, to him. Ouija board. No, no, no. It's the whole symbol is like of whatever he wants, and then he jizzes and thinks. Red-headed. Okay. Yeah. Boom. There we go. Simple, okay. right? Okay. So from the 4th to the 15th of January, 1946, Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard blared Prokofiev's Violin Concerto Number no. 2 and engaged in a nightly ritual of incantation, talisman waving, and other black magic described in Jack's diary as conjuration of air invocation of wand and consecration of air dagger so they're basically sword fighting yeah essentially a lot of sword waving <laughs> making symbols in the air while jerking off <laughs> onto these ta- tablets <laughs> now hey old jack what you doing tonight? i want to jerk off on some tablets now jack was the guy doing the the fucking rituals elron was the scribe That's so weird. So the two of them pleaded with the spirits for an elemental mate, a girl willing to go through sexual rites to incarnate Babylon in the spirit world. This is like me and Rob in high school. Exactly. This is like you too, just praying (laughs) that we find that girl. Okay, okay, okay. So Jack notes in his diary that windstorms had occurred on a couple of nights, and one night the power suddenly went out. Another night, Jack was awoken by a series of loud knocks, but nothing seriously responsive until January 14th, when Ron was struck on his right shoulder and had a candle knocked out of his hand, and they observed a brownish-yellow light about seven feet high. But fear not, 
Jack brandished a magical sword, waving and yelling, performing a banishing ritual as it disappeared. He also noted that Ron's right arm was paralyzed for the remainder of the night. They call that the stranger. Now, so this is a government-sanctioned rocket scientist doing this in his <laughs> doing this on spare the job. time. All right, all right. You think Elon Musk does this when he's not well, launching he's rockets? Well, he's shit. Hey, whatever you do outside of work is your business. <laughs> Just imagine Elon Musk and Joe Rogan doing fucking <laughs> masturbation <laughs> I think I heard a Joe Rogan podcast where he said he likes to smoke and then try and finish jerking off before he passes out. Oh, that's true. So he, you think he's doing masturbation sigils? It might. Now, the night following this, more sinister events occurred as Hubbard apparently saw a vision of one of Jack's enemies, Wilfred Smith, materialize behind Jack. Now, the description that Elrond gave was of Wilfred Smith, and Elrond had never seen him before. Ever? Never. Jack wrote... He attacked the figure and pinned it to the door with four throwing knives with which he is expert. Later that night, Jack described how he heard a metallic buzzing voice cry. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, just just let's let's just sit back and kind of digest this. So Jack Parsons, government-funded rocket scientist, Mm -hmm. and L. Ron Hubbard, former naval, naval officer, are up in Jack's room doing masturbation <laughs> sigils, running around waving swords at spirits. Throwing and knives. throwing <laughs> knives, spitting them to the wall. This sounds like high school. <laughs> now, uh, How high were they? Now, January 18th, Jack and Ron travel out to the Mojave Desert to Jack's favorite place, marked by the cross-section of two massive power cables, which emitted a low buzz. X marks the spot, right? Exactly. Now, they stood there at sunset as Jack felt the tension snap. He turned to Ron, saying, It is done. Now, immediately upon returning to the parsonage, Jack says he found a young woman answering the requirements waiting for him. Straight up weird science. Yes. Now, okay. this is not, this is, I'm not fabricating this Weird at all. magic. This woman, she was five foot five with a fair freckled complexion, fiery red hair, blue eyes, and quote unquote, giant red lips. Downstairs lips. Now, this turned out to be 23-year-old Marjorie Cameron. Now, she was essentially like, I guess she had read about the parsonage, wanted to go out there. One of these like artsy chicks, basically like goth before goth was cool. Because all these guys, like the LA Science Fantasy Society, all these nerds that were doing this magic in the house, they were basically nerds before nerds were cool. Like, it's like we talked about on our uh, Loch Ness Monster episode. These aren't like the goth kids you think of today, you know, that are doing the satanic shit. Like, these guys were so in-depth to ritual magic, Mm. and they were fucking huge nerds before this was even a thing. I mean, uh, check out, if you want a scoop on, like, into Marjorie Cameron's psyche, check out Kenneth Anger's inauguration of the Pleasure Dome. It's a uh, film that she was in. You can find the whole thing on YouTube. Um, Now, can I interject here? Yeah, go for it. It's no secret 
that your boy has always talked about finding a redheaded, left-handed Jewish chick, right? No secret. Didn't know the Jewish Didn't part. know the Jewish part. Well, Diamond in the Rough. Is that a new edition? No, that's not new. Maybe I kept a secret from you guys because I didn't want to be judged. Okay. But how rare would it be to find a redheaded, left-handed Jewish chick? So why don't you try this well, ritual? Let me tell you about this. One summer, <laughs> one summer, your boy traveled up to the University of Washington in Seattle. And we stayed at a, fr- a Jewish frat house. See, there's the key. What the hell were you doing up there? Magic rituals? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> My friend okay. from down here is also from where the same city I'm from in Washington. And we went up to Seattle, stayed at this Jewish frat house, and she said, hey, meet my friend. Beautiful blonde girl. Beautiful. Nice. Just everything. Beautiful. And me and this girl were hooking up, fucking. And at the end, when I had my vinegar strokes, what did I think about? Redheaded, left-handed chick. Okay. Now, we were driving around town trying to get to some place to eat food, and we caught this cab. And what did I meet while we were hailing the cab? Some Red-headed, left-handed, Jewish chick. So you're basically proving my point. You essentially accidentally did Bef- a without sex even magic knowing ritual. about this. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. imagine if your will was actually fully focused and intended on that. Right. Uh, this is what I'm saying. You're, I'm saying you and know. And you did nothing with that. Well, here's the thing. That girl, no. That girl turned out to be a complete bitch. Like at the point where we kicked her out of the cab. Now, see, but exactly. if I had focus, if exactly. I had known, yeah, because all you so said this is was real. Probably, yeah, this all is you real. said exactly. I, as I'm writing I'm this, I was like, this. Adam's gonna love this. Like yep. he needs to try this. I already but, done it. Now, see, no, look, you need to practice, get better. You're mm. gonna get exactly what you want. See, That's you were what sloppy. I like to hear. You were sloppy the first time. I was. You just I didn't said left hand and right hand better. And then, like fucking bedazzled, she turns out to be a bitch. Yep. Now I know. Now you know. Focus your will. True really story. tune it in listening. like a guitar. Fine yep. tune. <laughs> Fine like tune. a violin. And you're going to find your left-handed, red-headed diamond in the rough. A hundred percent. So Jack declares Marjorie his elemental as her arrival coincided exactly with his return from the Mojave. And right off the bat, she's on board. Right off the bat, he's like, hey... Uh, yeah, you're my elemental. I'm doing sex magic rituals with L. Ron Hubbard. And she's like, fuck yeah, let's do it. Yep. So, um, got a few pictures of them. Yes, you do. There she is. Oh. Um, now the entire ritual is set out in Jack's manuscript that became known as Liber 49, also the book of Babylon. Uh, cause Jack essentially like during these rituals went into the Mojave desert. He was dictated what he called the book of Babylon or Liber 49, by an entity, uh, just as Crowley was given the Book of the Law. And Jack considered this the fourth chapter of the Book of the Law. Mm. Now, again, as I was saying, I went through all this ritual magic stuff, read up highly on it. The Book of Babylon is pretty difficult to read if you have, like, no knowledge of any sort of this kind of shit, you know? Like, if you just went ahead and tried to read the Book of Babylon, you'd probably be pretty lost, so, um, but basically, you know, we'll give you the uh, broad strokes here. The spark notes. Yeah, the spark notes. I do like broad strokes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Jack and Elrond, they basically constructed an altar, and Elrond acted as the high priest during a series of ceremonies in which Parsons and Major Marjorie Cameron 
had sex. So he's just watching. He's essentially watching and dictating oh. um, these like lines and stuff, which we'll get into a little bit of. Now, for the Bunch first... Of cuckolding. Uh, not necessarily, because Marjorie is Jack's elemental. Mm. But he was cuckolding Jack, yes. Okay. Now, you've been uh, practicing any of this with, within your readings? Uh, like I said, these micheladas <laughs> <laughs> got some menstrual blood in them. <laughs> so you're preparing to perform. So, uh, for the first of the birth ceremonies, which began on March Ooh. 1st, Elrond wore a white robe and carried a lamp while Parsons was cloaked in black, hooded garment carrying a cup and dagger. At Elrond's suggestion, they played Rachmaninoff's Isle of the Dead as background music. Nice. Very dark. Jack's account of the start of the birth ritual is as follows. The scribe Elrond said, The year of Babylon is 4063. She is a flame of life, power of darkness. She destroys with a glance. She may take thy soul. She feeds upon the death of men. Beautiful, horrible. Sound like the Grinch. Grinch. <laughs> <laughs> it's green, dude. That's what it made me think of. Now, beautiful. Um, <laughs> so Elrond, as the scribe, now pale and sweating, yep. rested a while and then continued as he further instructed Parsons Display thyself to Our Lady, <laughs> dedicate thy organs to her. Display thy mind to her. Dedicate thy soul to her. For she shall absorb thee. Retire from human contact until noon tomorrow. Speak not of this ritual. Discuss nothing of it. Consult no book but thine own mind. Thou art a god. Behave at this altar as one god before another. Now, on the third day, the ritual began four hours before dawn, and Hubbard told his companion... And on the third day, his dick rose again. Is this me? <laughs> Lay out a white sheet. Place upon it blood of birth. Envision her approaching thee. Think upon the lewd, lavacious things thou couldn't do. All is good to Babylon. All. Preserve the material basis. The lust is hers. The passion yours. Consider thou the beast raping. I think that's rapping. <laughs> okay, so so essentially, um, these invocations. A lot. I mean, it's much much longer than this, much but we longer. don't have time to see the whole Babylon working raping, here. Yeah. Now, uh, these basically with other passages indicate that uh, Parsons had collected his own sperm and. Marjorie's menstrual fluid. Oh, so he doesn't. What's the purpose of that? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's magic, dude. This is an important magic ritual, you buffoon. The climax of the ceremony occurred the following day with Ron at the altar, 
working his two subjects into a sexual frenzy. All while Rachmaninoff continued to play, Ron shouted things like, Nice. Her mouth is red and her breasts are fair and her loins are full of fire. And then Jack wrote the next day, Babylon is incarnate upon the earth today, awaiting the proper hour of her manifestation. And in that day, my work will be accomplished, and I shall be blown away upon the breath of the Father, even as it is written. So, that's kind of the gist of the Babylon workings. Just know that this was a series of... um, Fucking. Oh, yeah. Long sex magic rituals took place over a long span of time. Good now, for him. So he does this. Now, despite the tension that had grown between um, Ron, Betty, and Jack, they agreed at the start of 1946 that they would go into business together, buying yachts on the East Coast and sailing them to California to sell at a profit. Interesting business concept. <laughs> <laughs> so, it sounds like you're going to lose a little I, bit of money there. Okay, so just imagine that series of events. They just performed like months of a sex magic ritual and then Elrond. Multiple months. Oh. And then Elrond just is like. I got a crazy idea for you, buddy. Jack, Jack <laughs> now hear me out, Jack. I think we buy the yachts on the East Coast. I sail them. Out here to California, and we sell them at a profit. <laughs> so they set up a business Fuck partnership. Get money. They set up a business partnership on January 15th, 1946, under the name of Allied Enterprises, with Jack putting up 20K of capital, Ron adding 1200 <laughs> and Betty contributing nothing. Hey, so, that pussy had to take a pounding. I mean, we all know what happened here, right? Jack's getting fucked. Essentially, Ron goes off with Betty to buy yachts with Jack's 20K. Jack, yeah, Jack basically paid <laughs> for Ron to, to go buy yeah, yachts. Yeah, dude. Fuck. Now, Jack, so weeks go by, months go by, not a word. Uh, Jack finally goes to Miami to track them down. And this is like uh, some catch me if you can shit. Like he's hot on the heels. One of my favorite movies. Uh, he finds them. Thanks for the poster. He literally way. finds them on a dock. And Ron is like, wow, 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 buddy. Uh, <laughs> let me go get the other yachts. I will go sail them back and bring them to you. It's <laughs> like the Grinch. I'll go. No, you sound like Dave Chappelle no, right there but, in the Prince sketch. But I'm saying it's like the Grinch. Let me take it to my workshop. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> these yachts are broken. I got to bring them out. Yeah. I'll fix them. Yeah, so, <laughs> and bone your wife yeah. at the same time. So essentially... Um, he talks his way out of it, and they essentially sail off. Um, now, Jack is waiting for them at a hotel room. They don't show up. A couple of days go by. They don't show up. Jack decides to do the invocation of Bartzabel in order to curse Ron and Betty. Um, he credited it with causing a, the couple to abort an attempt to evade him. As he wrote about the ordeal, Hubbard attempted to escape me by sailing at 5 p.m., and I performed a full evocation to Bartzabel, 
within the circle at 8 p.m. At the same time, so far as I can check, his ship was struck by a sudden squall off the coast, which ripped his sails and forced him back to port, where I took the boat in custody. Here I am in Miami, pursuing the children of my folly. They cannot move without going to jail. However, I am afraid that most of the money has already been dissipated. So, um, Jack eventually goes the legal route and sues them on July 1st in the circuit court of Dade County. Always ends badly. His lawsuit accused Ron and Betty of breaking the terms of their partnership and dissipating the assets and attempting to abscond. What is their partnership? Hey, brother, here's some money. Go get some boats. Fuck my wife. Well, as well, I th- I don't think she's his wife by this point. Okay, because he's maybe fucking her is. sister, right? Well, no, no, this was the sister he was fucking. Got it, got it, got it, got it. And then he runs off with her, so it's not his wife. But okay. so Elron and them basically they had that idea to flip yachts, and that was their business. <laughs> they just flipping went off yachts, great TV show. Sidetrack, just fucking. Uh, no, just sailing around like he, his, he was—he never intended to to do this business at all. It was just a way for him to get twenty k out of Jack and Smart, then go dude. fucking do whatever he wanted. Smart. Now, the case was settled out of court eleven days later with Ron and Betty agreeing to refund some of Jack's money while keeping a yacht, the Harpoon, for themselves. <laughs> listen, listen here, buddy. I'm going to give you about 10k and uh, keep, now, keep the old yacht for myself. What do you say? So you know what I'm thinking here is, like it or not, um, Jack's funding directly contributed to Hubbard kind of going on to create Dianetics and then Scientology. I mean, 20k. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, dude. exactly. I mean, Fuck. he basically boom got this money from Jack. And what is OTO's? Motto, method is science, aim is religion. Mm. This definitely played a uh, role in Scientology. Am I right? So basically you're saying Scientology is the new OTO. Thanks, Johnny T. Not, I wouldn't say new OTO. I'd say it's just because Hubbard, like, he was never a part of the OTO. He was just so charismatic and persuasive that he just went up to Jack, who was eighth level OTO, and Jack just showed him everything. Like, he showed him secret... Um, what classified magic rituals that he should not have shown Ron mm. because Ron was just that great of a guy. And then Ron, he starts Scientology Dianetics out of this, and Scientology rewrites this as L. Ron Hubbard was a secret agent hired by the FBI to break up black magic in America. And that's what he goes with the rest of his life. Now, Jack went on to recover somewhat financially, although he did on, end up selling the parsonage, parsonage due to his, this whole ordeal. And some theorize as a backlash to experience to his experience with Hubbard and Betty, he took the oath of the Antichrist in 1948 as he changed his name to... Belarian Armillus Al-Dajjal Antichrist. That's his last name, Antichrist. <laughs> I, don't, I think that translates to that. But he wrote a book about this called The, Back, the Black Pilgrimage to Chorazon. Um, he only listened to black metal on the iPod. Now, 
also, again, this isn't like Antichrist. Like we, like when we think of Antichrist, we think of fucking like fucking Pantera, Ozzy Osbourne, like Satan. You know, I think of the Antichrist as Satan. I think, but you think you know, like metal. They kind of adopted that imagery. Black metal. All right, like all right, maybe not Pantera and Metallica, Slayer. Maybe like some Norwegian death metal where they're burning down churches. <laughs> Black metal. <laughs> so little, yeah, like that type okay. of shit, right? This wasn't that at all. What his version of the Antichrist was, was just like um, kind of a fuck you to authority, you know? He was saying like, yeah, everybody can buy that, right? His version of the Antichrist was, hey, Christianity has made us do so much fucked up shit in the world. Fuck that. Like, we're going to fucking take it back to the bohemian roots of free love, man, hippies. Now, Jack, he managed to obtain some consulting work on rockets here and there, but he was ultimately caught up in the Red Scare of the post-war years. Uh, He was accused of consorting with communists in the pre-war years and of being involved in what the FBI claimed was a, quote-unquote, love cult. Kind of true. He had his security clearance stripped of him, and now... He did have his clearance reinstated and found work with the help of Von Karman, essentially creating a rocket program for Israel. Like, he was doing consulting work with Israel at this point, making rockets for them. And I, I guess, like, some guy that didn't like Jack uh, ratted him out to the FBI for giving secret knowledge, and his clearance was eventually permanently stripped. Um and he was resorted to pumping gas, fixing cars, and eventually ended up using his scientific and chemistry knowledge to make explosive squibs for Hollywood movies. So there's a good chance he was on the set of Beware the Flare. Uh, probably not. A little after his time. <laughs> okay. So by this time, Jack was essentially a broken spirit. For sure. If somebody was um, fucking my girl. Well, two people have stolen his girls. Mm. Uh, Marjorie left him to go whore around down in Mexico. Um, they were essentially going to get a divorce. Um, so he was basically alone. However, Marjorie did come back around. Uh, she came back into his life. They canceled their divorce proceedings. And by 1952, they had planned to take a little trip down to Mexico. She can show him where she's getting gangbanged down there. Yeah, a little, well, this was a little reset, a little the vacation. Go down to Mexico, retool my life, come back to the U.S. <clears throat> now, on June 16th, 1952, the day before he was set to leave for his Mexico trip, Jack received a call from a special effects corporation asking if he could prep a rush order of explosives for a movie that was being filmed. Now, his home lab by this time was in the carriage house of another mansion in Pasadena. It's a carriage house. Owned by John S. Cravens. Uh, They had numerous guests in and out of the house. Uh, Think of like the house in Forrest Gump. Mm. People living out of their suitcases. I love you, John A. One of these guests was Greg Nassi. He was an actor and artist who at 5 p.m., that evening, remember seeing Jack's home laboratory filled with tubes and liquids of which Jack was putting in and out of the oven. Oh. He turned to Jack and said, For God's sake, don't blow us up. And Jack chuckled and said, Don't worry about it. Now at around 5.08 p.m., a huge explosion ripped through his home laboratory and arriving police found Parsons still alive. Although half his face had been ripped off 
exposing the skull beneath. His right arm was missing, and surrounding him were rocketry papers and pentagrams, <laughs> occult drawings, and chemical formulas. That's badass. I don't care who you are, dude. So essentially, he became Two-Faced. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm well, thinking, man. He died shortly afterwards at the age of just 37 years old. For 37, this motherfucker lived a hell of a life. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Now, upon hearing about his death, his own mother took her life with a bottle of sleeping pills shortly oh, after. Jesus. There was no funeral held for Jack. Uh, the OTO held a service to make it known that brother John Whiteside Parsons has taken his last journey with the sun, and Marjorie took his ashes into the Mojave Desert scattered them at the intersection of the two massive power lines where years before some of the Babylon workings took place. Now, there's a couple theories on his death because, I mean, right off the bat, this guy was an explosive expert. Mm -hmm. You know, he knew more about explosives than anyone at the time. And so they were saying there's no way this guy could have mishandled explosives. He wouldn't be that careless. Right, 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 right. But then again, you know, we've all... I mean, how many times have you... Um, Almost blown off my face and my right <laughs> arm? Can't tell you how many times. <laughs> I mean, not necessarily that, but how many times have you fucking burned yourself trying to light a candle? Setting off white gas, yeah. Yeah, or, you know, just fucked up something simple, like cut yourself cooking or... Like, people make mistakes. Now, there's a couple <laughs> interesting theories. Um, in 1938, uh, Los Angeles police captain Earl Kenyette was convicted in the Harry Raymond bombing. Essentially, this police captain was corrupt, and this guy, Harry, was a whistleblower, and he rigged up a car bomb to try to kill this guy. Now, they brought in Jack as an explosives expert, and his testimony was paramount in recreating the car bomb, and he eventually sent Kenyette into prison. Great joke, by the way. I mean, Jack... He's testifying on the stand. Now, Kenyette was paroled in 1948. He was sent back to San Quentin in 1951 for violating his parole um, because he was being convicted of being drunk. And then he was freed again in 1952. Coincidence? I think not. So one theory there is, hey, if anybody could have rigged a bomb to blow this guy up, possibly this guy. Another theory is that he was assassinated by Howard Hughes because while he was doing the Israel thing, the whole like why he got his security clearance stripped, he was working for Hughes Company and he had to use some like classified reports to give an estimate to Israel on building them these rockets. He didn't use any of the classified information, but that's what they got him for. Now, Howard Hughes, being pissed off about this, maybe had him assassinated. Mm. Another theory, however, I think the first one holds up better. Um, And other theories range from, you know, what's going on at this time? Cold War, just beginning. Um, Jack's involved with all these guys that were communists. You know, Frank Molina, Ed Foreman, all these guys get tagged with, hey, you guys are communists. You were in this love cult, yada, yada, yada. Um, Possibly the CIA had him murked off. Mm-hmm. Because As they usually do. He yep. knew too much. So there's a, there's a bunch of theories buzzing around about if he died or not. Some even say, hey, maybe he committed suicide. Mm. You know, this was a broken guy. Maybe he just said, hey, 
fuck it, you know? Fuck Mexico. I'm not fuck going Mexico. Going. Fuck the dude. Drops this shit. Cheek. Fucking yeah. explodes everything. He was a broken guy by yep, this point. Yep, 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 Now, there are a couple more theories that we can throw into the works here on the Babylon workings as a whole. Because that's essentially what I wanted to focus on was more of these magic rituals that Jack did because the Babylon workings, I mean, these were, this is a huge magic ritual. Like this is very rare that someone would attempt to do this ritual. Mm. Maybe, maybe just maybe it worked. I mean, Adam, just like you were saying, you didn't even know about this stuff and it worked for you. Right, right, right. So there's a lot of theories out there about the UFO connection. Now, Kenneth Grant theorizes in his book, Outside the Circles of Time, that, quote-unquote, Parsons opened a door and something flew in. Mm. As the Babylon working occurred just prior to the wave of unexplained aerial phenomena now called the Great Flying Saucer Flap. Um, essentially, this is, essentially, what Kenneth says is a gateway... For the great old ones had yep. been established yep. and opened by the OTO. That's what I call it too. Who were in contact with an entity known as Lamb, an extraterrestrial being whom Crowley supposedly contacted while in America in 1919. Now, Crowley subsequently sealed this portal and they theorized that the Babylon working not only reopened the portal that Crowley had sealed, but ripped open a bigger tear in the interdimensional or space-time fabric. This is too much like my life, dude. And due to inadequate knowledge or careless neglect on the part of Jack and Ron, it was never properly sealed. Now this, I'll also put this on the Instagram, is a sketch that Crowley made of this extraterrestrial being called Lamb. Now, what does that look like? The old alien. Looks like one of the greys, right? Yep, yep. Haunted. So now, when was the first UFO sighting? Roswell? No. Nope. Before that. We it's did like an episode. Mothman. Kenneth Arnold. Yep. 1947. Yep. Now, Parsons concluded his rituals in March of 1946. After those rituals, UFOs were bursting on the scene left and right, course we got kenneth arnold we got the roswell incident and we got the george adamski sightings which will have to be another episode so like we talked about in the loch ness episode crowley opened Portal. the gate okay yep. okay now this uh, essentially a lot of people think jack spread open this portal he didn't have that well of a knowledge of it's not uh, the only magic. thing he was spreading open exactly and out comes all these ufos Oh, yes. No coincidence, they were out in the desert, which was yep. one of his favorite places to go. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Now, another popular theory is that perhaps Jack's will, Jack's, um, what do you call it? His intentions, you know, what he wanted, his thoughts that he put out there. Do what thou wilt. Exactly. Yeah. They came. The lifestyle he fostered at the Agape Lodge at the Parsonage was, in fact, revived on a much larger scale uh, with the hippie movement of the 1960s. The uh, Crowley's idea of do what thou will, uh, free love, became tenets of the hippie movement. All the way to 1969. Now, Crowley himself even appeared on an album of the Beatles. You guys mm. know which album he's on? The White Album? Nope. Ooh, Black Album. No. I'm going to stop guessing. Magical he's, Mystery Tour. He's on the cover of the album. What Beatles album has a whole bunch of people on it? Sgt. Peppers. Peppers. Yep. yep. Nice. Now, while... 
Crowley's ideas were manifested in the likes of Dr. Timothy Leary and even Led Zeppelin, as Jimmy Page was obsessed with Crowley. Mm. Jimmy Page, Robert Plant, ring any bells? Yep. Now, again, like we said, Crowley basically was one of the original hippies. His whole thing of the Antichrist was an end to authority. Um, Jack's quote, when he said he was the Antichrist, he writes about it in his Black Pilgrimage to Chorazon. He says, one of the things that, you know, the Antichrist will usher in is an end to all authority that is not based on courage and manhood to the authority of lying priests, conniving judges, and blackmailing police. Mm. Now we can all get behind that, am I right? Furthermore, the years that followed Jack's death, we witnessed the space race, starting with Sputnik in 1957 and followed by the Apollo 11 missions in which Jack's ultimate dream came true. We landed men on the moon. Damn shame he wasn't around to see it. Now Werner von Braun even went on to state, It was the self-taught person who was the true father of American space program for his contribution to the development of solid rocket fuel. So, the bubble. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> it's frustrating. Even Von Braun himself is saying, hey, guys, don't look at me. Parsons did this, you know? That's the guy. <laughs> now, that's the guy. Uh, the JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, JPL. would go on to play a pivotal role in the U.S. space program. JPL even manufactured the Voyager 1 and 2 spacecraft, which had traveled further from the Earth than any other man-made object. And JPL is currently owned by NASA and managed by the nearby <laughs> California Institute of Technology for NASA with an annual budget of approximately $1.4 billion. The lab's primary function is the construction and operation of planetary robotic spacecraft, though it also conducts Earth orbit and astronomy missions. It is also responsible for operating NASA's deep space network. Most notable of all, however, is that the booster rockets, which launched the first shuttle into space, were modeled after those designed by Jack Parsons himself. And therefore, it is evident that although he did not live to see his dreams of space travel come into fruition, he was all absolutely critical in making this a reality. And on the dark side of the moon, there is a small crater, which NASA has dubbed the name Parsons. Now, we can probably see a picture of that with the old Chinese scientists Shut that up. just took a picture of the back side of the moon. Can we put dark side of the moon as the outro? Oh, yeah. Now, JPL, Jack Parsons Lives. Mm. As of 2018, there's a CBS television show entitled Strange Angel. Uh, mm. I, I watched the first two episodes. It was okay. It was all right. It was all right. Um, it was you know. All right. They Hollywoodified shit like they always do, so it's not the best accurate account. I'd say if you want more information on this, check out Sex and Rockets or Strange Angel, uh, both great books. But there you have it, um, Jack Whiteside Parsons, fucking James Dean of the occult, American rocket scientist, blending black magic with fucking science, dude. This guy was a fucking fascinating character in American history. And he's all but forgotten nowadays. Mm. We should just do a uh, sex and violence cover, but it's called Sex, sex and Rocket. 
and rockets. Sucks and rockets. Sucks and rockets. So on that, uh, we are out of here, guys. Um, you guys got anything to add? Uh, nothing really to add, but as always, you know, feel free to hit us up on the gram, on the email, podcast from outer space, likes, dislikes, hit that subscribe button, you know, maybe throw in a five-star review if you're, if you got the time, podcast from outer space at gmail.com or on Instagram, podcast from outer space. And as always, thanks for listening, guys. Yep, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, Stay tuned as we got more stuff coming your way. And on that, so long and thanks for all the fish. And if your head explodes with the bones too, I'll see you on the dark side of the moon. in my head (laughs) The lunatic is in my head